I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro, and we've got many things to go over today. So, you know, recently, uh, I had the privilege and honor to be on uh, Viewpoint with the great Malcolm Out Loud. And we were talking about violence in our society. And, of course, we brought up the never-ending mass shootings, mass killings that are going on. We've had more. But is, is that stoppable? I mean, can we stop those things? I guess is, is my point, uh, what I want to talk about about that. Because I'm telling you, I'm doing a presentation, actually several of them, uh, upcoming. And one of them is violence in the workplace. That's what we're going to talk about, managing a crisis. And then I'm going to be speaking for Campus Safety Magazine. I'm doing a program for them on running a proper drill. You know, how do you run a good, solid drill? You know, what's the purpose of a drill? Why do, we, why do we do drills? Do they help? Now, for a long time, we've been focusing, obviously, on schools, and I've been banging the drum, saying that every location where people gather needs to be prepared. Every location needs to be able to train its staff, have equipment in place, and do drills so that if violence erupts, you can react quickly and maybe save your life or save someone else's life. So we're going to talk about that for a couple minutes because the, the events that we saw in Nashville a few weeks ago when the killer went to the um, religious school, the Covenant schools, a religious school, and shot their way through the glass, went in and then killed uh, six people, six little children and six adults. And now we've had uh, this attack in Louisville, Kentucky, which I was there uh, about a year or so ago. I was in Louisville, a uh, really beautiful little town. I, I really enjoyed it. And right across the bridge, there's a bridge over the Ohio River, and the other side is Indiana. And it just, being from, from the Northeast, I didn't realize Indiana and uh, Kentucky were so close together. I just, you know, you look at the map and you don't really put it together where you are. But the point was, I was just in that city, and here they are with a shooting. You know, I, I've told you a few times recently, I was out in the San Francisco area recently doing some threat assessments, and I was in uh, Half, Half Moon Bay uh, having lunch with my cousins, uh, who works out there. He works in a tech company. And like three days later, there was two mass shootings, one in Santa Monica and one then in Half Moon Bay, where a guy went in and killed a bunch of people who worked in a uh, an agricultural plant. So when I talk about this and then we talk about schools, yes, we have to protect our schools, absolutely. But we have to protect our businesses and our places of commerce as well because when we look at these statistics of where these shootings take place, of course, because there's children involved, we focus on the schools almost exclusively because these are little innocent children. Uh, even if they're high school kids, they're still children, and they're, they're in danger. But we look the other, that's one-third of the active shooter incidents that take place. The other two-thirds take place everywhere else in our world. 
in food stores. You saw that in Colorado and we saw that in Buffalo. It takes place in movie theaters. Again, Colorado. We see it take place in other public areas. I mean, it, it's, it's so strange that these events are so regular in our lives that they don't really report unless they reach the stage of mass killer, which means four victims or more. You know, if it's three victims or two, you know, they just reported it as an incident, but you don't get national attention. Once it gets to four, we hear about it. And it's, it's really sad. So this is not a gun control argument. It is not. Uh, I know that uh, guns you, in the hands of uh, decent citizens, law-abiding people, uh, are used 500,000 to a million times a year to protect people's lives, protect their homes. And we're going to talk about that statistic a little bit. Now, is it a trade-off? Because this is what I get. This is the business that I'm in. And people will ask me these questions. They'll say, well, Lieutenant Joe, if we got rid of all the guns, wouldn't we save all these lives? And you say to yourself, okay, how do, how, do I, how do I respond to that in an appropriate way? If we got rid of all these guns, would these school shootings and all these active shooter play at, at businesses and all that, wouldn't that come to an end? If we got, Well, first of all, you'd have to get all the guns. So you'd have to go door to door. And for people that tell you, oh, my gun, my gun was stolen, and they make a police report, how are you going to prove it wasn't stolen? They're going to keep their gun. So you're not really going to get rid of all the guns. And if you did that, and I know a lot of people would do that, they would make a report and they would say, hey, my, my house is broken into, they stole all my guns. Uh, I know what happened, guns are all gone. So this way, when you come knocking at the door to get their guns, they're gonna say, listen, I, I, I reported them stolen, they're gone, they're not here. And you're gonna make criminals out of honest law-abiding people. And you're gonna prevent them from being able to protect themselves. See, so this, and it doesn't mean, I don't mean for it to sound cold, but I think we have to look at the statistics and the numbers so we understand what we're talking about. In other words, let's deal in facts, okay? So we know that in the year 2020 and 2021, real active shooter incidents in schools, real ones, not the ones where there's gangbangers running across the parking lot shooting at each other, or there's somebody committed a robbery and they end up shooting it out with the cops in the school parking lot or something like that. The reality is there, there were 61 real events in 2020, 2021. Now that's a lot, but when you compare the number, the, the thousands and thousands and thousands of schools, you say to yourself, while each one is tragic and horrific, it is really a very, very small number of places that are attacked. Now, again, this sounds cold. It feels cold to even say it. And if it, my kids were involved in any of this, I would be horrified. But the reality is, the statistic is that it's very, very low. The number of incidents in our schools are very, very low. Full two-thirds of them, of these active shooter, active killers, take place outside of the schools. They take place where we work, especially. Now, the statistics that I have in my program um, are, are kind of crazy when it comes to active shooting. Uh, at workplaces, at, at workplace violence, when we look at workplace violence. So I think they said one of six uh, violent crimes takes place in the workplace. One out of six takes place where you work, your office building, your newspaper, your restaurant, uh, your warehouse. One out of six violent crimes takes place in a workplace.
three or four of the of the incidents uh, of workplace violence that take place are assaults. People are being assaulted. Murder is the number two cause for death in the workplace. Now you got to think. You got people working with huge pieces of equipment. You got people, law enforcement, right? We see law enforcement officers killed all the time. We see fire uh, officials die doing their job. We see truck drivers crashing. When it comes to the labor market, we look at there, uh, homicide is the number two killer of people in the workplace. And it is the number one killer for women in the workplace. So these are some pretty scary statistics. So when I go out and I do a presentation, I want people to understand the statistics so that they can have some understanding of, of what it is they, they need to do. So when I was on with Malcolm, we had talked about violence in general and crime going out of control. And is there a connection between rising crime and rising numbers of shootings? Well, I think in most of the instances of the shootings, whether it's a school shooting, a business shooting, grocery store, it's got less to do with crime and more to do with people uh, being emotionally um, unstable or having some kind of problem or a grievance or some other mental condition when they come after you. Now, when we look at um, people that go in and attack for hate reasons, like in the, in the uh, grocery store in Buffalo, New York, when that guy went in there and he killed because he wanted to kill African-American people, that's a hate crime. Uh, that, that other animal down in, uh, down in the south when he went into the church, into that black church, and he shot all those people. That's a hate crime, no doubt about it. I mean, this is, it was motivated by hate, uh, and he, he did, uh, he did his, his violence. We look at school shootings, it's usually because there's a problem in the school with the kid. The kid has a problem either with somebody in the school or with themselves, and violence is, seems to be their, their way to react to it. So that's why I say it's not a gun control problem. Recently, um, and I'm, again, I apologize, uh, I'm on the road. I'm on the road uh, for this episode. I'm out and about. Uh, I'm on Long Island uh, at this particular time. And there was a horrific school attack uh, in a foreign country. Let's just say that. A foreign country in Europe. And the individual attacked with knives and killed over a dozen people with knives. So it's not about the gun. It's about the violent person who attacks and they go in and take out a lot of people. So to get back to my, my thought, Lieutenant Joe, if we got rid of all the guns, wouldn't that make everybody safer? No. My point being is that you have to remember that other statistic I, I said, 500,000 to a million people a year protecting themselves from violence, right? So that's why I gave you the statistic. 61 active shooters say there were, uh, say there's 2,000 mass shootings a year where more than three or four people are killed. We have to break that down to who's doing that killing. Is that somebody attacking a workplace? Is that somebody attacking a movie theater, uh, you know, 2,000 times? Or is this a mass killing where you have um, uh, crime, criminals going in and killing groups of people, fighting with each other in the street, gangs fighting each other, you know, and you shoot five, six people at a time. So if we were to take away all the guns, and you could go get them. You could knock on people's doors, you get search warrants, you get all their guns, you pile them all up, you destroy all the guns. Nobody has guns except law enforcement and the military. 
Well, people are still going to use other weapons, people that want to do this. You know, the biggest, uh, the, one of the biggest killers of children in school was a guy in the 1920s uh, in New Jersey who was mad at the school district, and he put bombs in the school and blew the skill up, school up and, and killed a bunch of children. So people with this violence, this evil in their heart to do this, they're going to find a way to do it, even if they don't have guns. So taking away the guns would, and I, I mean, if you, theoretically, if you could get all the guns so there were none out there, you would stop most of these shootings, absolutely, because nobody would have the guns that they use. There would still be incidents where people would go in with knives, hammers, and axes and attack people in a school. But the other 500,000 to a million people who protect themselves would now be helpless. Right? They would have no way to protect themselves. So, no, it's not a gun control issue. We have a million gun control laws. New Jersey, one of the most restrictive gun places in the world uh, to get a gun. Uh, and you still have, uh, you know, in our cities, our urban cities, we, we still have murders constantly with weapons, people shooting each other. Uh, those are all criminals. They don't follow the law. The only people that's going to follow the law are law-abiding citizens who are going to be told to turn in their weapons. So it is not a gun control issue. It is a people control issue. Uh, you know, when people uh, are out there and they let us know that they're violent or they're dangerous, we have to remove them from society. You charge them with the crimes that they commit. You prosecute them. And if they're found guilty, uh, you put them in prison for a long time. We know statistically that it's about 15 to 20 percent of our population across the board that are the criminal element, that are the recidivists. They commit one crime after another, one crime after another because they're criminal minded people. They don't worry about the law. They don't care about the law. They get away with what they can get away with until they get caught. And if that means robbing, raping, murdering you, well, they're going to do it. You know, I saw a, a story the other day. It was, you know, it was disheartening in one way and, and, and strange in another. There was a, a man who was accused of stabbing another man outside of a bar and killing him. Well, when he was questioned, the man admitted it or he, he gave a confession that said he did it. He was convicted. There were witnesses that pointed him out, uh, and he went to prison. He was in prison for eight years. Well, at some point, um, there was DNA under the victim's fingers in this fight. He must have been in some kind of a fight when he got stabbed and the victim died. And they, they analyzed that DNA several years later, and they found it came back to another different guy, not the man who was convicted of the crime. And the man whose uh, DNA was under the victim's fingernails was in prison in another state. They went to him, and he admitted he did the stabbing. Uh, so they released this other guy. We're going to call him uh, Bob. They released Bob from prison. And you see a picture of Bob coming out of the jail, and his hands are raised, and he's very excited, and he's thrilled. Hey, he was, he was wrongly convicted, and he was removed from jail. I think that's fantastic. I think that's great. I don't want anybody in jail that didn't do it. But the strange and sad part of the story is that within several days, within several days of this guy getting out of jail, he shot and killed another guy and was rearrested and he's back in jail. He was out for a couple of days. So what does that tell you? What does that tell you about human nature and what people do? If somebody's a killer, they're a killer. I saw another video and this, I don't know why this didn't make the news bigger. Uh, I saw it on some social media posts. Two, two men were arguing in a, like a grocery store and there's about five or six guys standing around and they're all, you know, having a soda pop or whatever they're doing. They're talking, eating potato chips. And these two guys get into an argument, um, and as the one guy starts to walk away, the other guy pulls a handgun, shoots him in the head. Now the guy drops to the ground, the crowd, the rest of the people start moving away, and the guy that shot him 
walks up to the guy, and the guy's kind of like pushing himself up off the floor. He's still alive, and this guy just pops him right in the head and kills him as calm as could be. Put the gun in his pocket, and he walked out the door. You know, this kind of senseless, uh, unbridled violence is, is part of the culture we live in when we don't have uh, criminals facing justice. Now, this show is all about facing justice, right? That's what we talk about, chasing justice, facing justice. And we're going to get back into the school shooting things, and I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the things you can do at your business uh, or your kid's school or what you can do. But as I'm on this, on this road of, of justice and we see things that people do to protect themselves, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse was uh, the young man who was in Wisconsin, and he was out... Uh, carrying a, uh, I think it was uh, an AR-15, and there was riots. You know, people were rioting, burning the city down during 2020. And he was out there trying to protect his community. Now, he was legal to have the gun. He was legal to carry the gun. It's a, you know, it was perfectly legal for him to do that. And he was attacked. He was attacked by several people, including one of them with a gun who put it right in his face. And we have video of this, so we know what happened. And Kyle Rittenhouse defended himself appropriately, uh, and he shot and killed um, this man. Now that's terrible that that man lost his life. It's terrible that his family um, lost their loved one. I'm sure he was loved. Uh, and another man was shot in the arm and lost the use of his arm, you know, by Kyle because this guy was attacking Kyle and he shot this guy. Well, the reality is they shouldn't have been out there committing crime. And Kyle's allowed to protect himself. So when it comes to self defense, we have places like Texas and Florida that have stand your ground law. You don't have to run away. And we've talked about this before. But there was recently a, a thing that made the paper, a story that made the paper, that I found it to be really telling uh, in, in, our, in our country. What are we doing? The, 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 the dichotomy between the people who are anti-law uh, and order and the people who are pro-law and order are really completely faced off in this modern America we live in. So there was a man, he was former military, uh, and he was working as an Uber driver, I guess part-time, making some money, trying to survive in Biden's economy, you know, with the uh, 7 or 8% inflation. And this guy's working as an Uber driver, and he comes across uh, a Black Lives Matter protest, and he rides into it, because, you know, you, you see these videos all the time. People are riding, they turn a corner, and there's 2,000 people uh, protesting in the street, rioting. What do they do? They surround the cars, they kick the car, they attack the car. Uh, people have been pulled out of their cars. People have been beaten. Uh, there was a case uh, in the course of all that where a woman ran somebody over and she was found not guilty because she was in fear for her life. They were bashing on her car and she panicked and got out of there and she ran somebody over. Well, they shouldn't have been blocking the street and they shouldn't have been attacking people's cars. You want to protest, stand on the side of the street. Do not block traffic. Do not stop ambulances and do not scare people to death. Protest. This is what I feel. This is what I'm mad about. Good. That's, your, that's perfectly legitimate. But not blocking traffic, not banging on people's cars, scaring people to death. Well, in, in I think it was Austin, Texas, uh, this man's an Uber driver, and he is you know trying to deliver uh, sandwiches or whatever, uh, drop people off somewhere, whatever, whatever he's doing there to make extra money, and he runs into this uh, BLM protest. They surround his car. People are banging on the car. I think in the videos they said you can see 25 different hands uh, smashing on his car, banging on the windows and what. So there's 25 people, a bunch of people standing around. That would have to be scary, wouldn't you think? You'd have to wonder what's going to go on. Well, in the middle of this, a guy comes walking up to his car, and the guy's carrying a rifle. 
and he points the rifle at the guy sitting in the car, in the Uber car. So that guy happens to have a legally permitted weapon. The guy points a rifle at him, he draws his weapon, shoots, and kills the guy. Well, the initial detectives that were on the scene, they decided that this was self-defense. You know, we're not going to charge this guy with a crime. He had every right to defend himself. Well, the prosecutor, uh, when they go to grand jury, and this is why I explained grand jury uh, in an episode recently. And they went to grand jury, didn't want him to testify about the, uh, the evidence that would show the, other, the guy was innocent, that he was acting in self-defense. And they, uh, they got him indicted because you can indict a ham sandwich. Uh, and then, of course, uh, he went to trial and he was found guilty. Well, Governor Abbott is now very close to uh, pardoning this man. And I think this is justice. This man was uh, surrounded. He was in fear for his life. And a guy with a rifle approached him. This fits the criteria of being able to defend yourself. If, if you walked up to a police officer and you pulled out a, a gun or held a rifle and pointed at the officer, the officer being justified in shooting you doesn't have to wait until you get shot to shoot back. You know, you're allowed to get the upper hand on a bad person. Well, that's what this guy did. Uh, he was, you can imagine yourself sitting in that car, being surrounded, people banging on your car, screaming and hollering. You've seen these things in the past, haven't you? You've seen people pulled out of their cars and beaten. You've seen people attacked. You've seen uh, all kinds of these things. So it would be, uh, be very, very uh, appropriate to think that this might happen to you. And then a guy points a rifle at you. And you've got the upper hand thinking maybe you're going to die, but you're going to defend yourself. And he shot and killed this man. Again, terrible that the man lost his life, but he shouldn't have been pointing a rifle in the middle of a riot at an individual. Uh, and again, this guy, just like Kyle Rittenhouse, and just like um, many, many other people in our country who were put in a position to face a life and death situation, and they defended themselves with a legitimate weapon. That is why... While it's terrible when these shootings happen in our workplaces and our schools, they're absolutely terrible, and there's things we can do, and we'll, we're going to talk about that. But the reality is to take away everybody's guns because of a small number of incidents and leaving the vast majority of the rest of society at the whim of a criminal does not make sense. And we can, you can use these incidents a shooting at a school or a shooting at a business as, as fodder to go out there and scream, get rid of the guns, get rid of the guns. But the other thing we have to remember is that the right to uh, possess and bear arms is a constitutional right. And we don't just go around, you know, removing rights. Now, our friends on the left, yes, they do. They would go around instantly and remove your rights. They, they try it all the time. They, they try and shut things down. You know, freedom of speech, the First and Second Amendment, uh, firearms is, is, under, is under attack constantly. Uh, you know, we see freedom of speech. You know, no, we believe in freedom of speech as long as you say things that are not hateful, as long as you say things that don't make people feel bad, as long as you say things that, you know, agree with us. That's not free speech. That is prescribed speech that, you know, you certain things you can't say. Free speech means I could say whatever I want. You don't have to listen, but I get to say it. And if you don't like what I said, then don't listen to me. Right? Same thing with the Second Amendment. We have to, these are our rights. These are our constitutional rights to uh, have free speech, freedom of religion, to uh, be free from, our, from unlawful searches, uh, and also to possess firearms. Not to go hunting, not to shoot a deer, but to protect yourself from a tyrannical government or 
from a criminal who wants to hurt you or your family. So these are, are a couple of things that are out there in the news. Now, when we look at the shooting situation, the thing that happened um, at the school in Nashville, and you watch the video, the killer uh, was described as a transgender killer, a female uh, who transgendered and, and identified as a male, apparently. Uh, it's, it's hard to tell. The story hasn't been clear, right? They haven't told you, was he a male uh, who, who identifies as a female? Or was a female identifying as a male? I'm not sure. I think it's a female identifying as a male. I think that's what Aubrey was. Um, but anyway, you see the video inside the school, and the killer walks up to the door, fires a few rounds through the glass, and the glass drops, and in comes the killer. Well, that's exactly what happened in Sandy Hook, in the Sandy Hook shooting at that school. They, they did lockdown drills, they did a lot of things, but their glass was unprotected. And the, the, the killer in Sandy Hook just shot the glass and the glass fell and he stepped into school and he was in there immediately. So there's simple things that we can do. Um, you can protect your glass. Now, bulletproof glass would be awesome. Bulletproof glass in our entryways of our businesses and our school would be fantastic. It is outrageously expensive. So if you were to think of a, a standard uh, front door on your house, you know, where you have a screen door, that piece of glass, you know, that you drop down so you can let air in the summer and put it back up, if that was bulletproof, that would be about three to $4,000 for that one piece. So you can imagine now an entire vestibule of a school or the entryway to a business uh, or a bank or something. Um, how expensive that would be. It would be prohibitive. And you say, oh, well, Lieutenant Joe, isn't it worth people's lives? Yeah, well, no, not everybody has that money. It would cost millions and millions of dollars extra to put that in there. But isn't there anything we can do? There is. There's a material out there. It's called, I call it safety film, safety glazing. It's very inexpensive. Uh, you put it on uh, the glass of a window or the glass of a door. Uh, and it's crystal clear, you can't see it, and then there's a caulking that goes around the outside of the film once it's applied, and like I said, it's crystal clear, you can't even tell it's there. It bonds the, um, the film to the frame of the door. Now, somebody can still shoot through it, you can shoot bullets through it, but the glass will not drop and fall out. So you might shoot through it a bunch of times, uh, then you have to go over and bash on it with a hammer or something. Basically what it do does is it buys you time it buys you time to react. Because in this, in this situation, whether it's an attack on a workplace or school or movie theater, anywhere, the key is time equals life. You have to have time to see the danger coming and then you have to have time to respond. Otherwise, you're caught up in the middle of it. So when we look at the bank uh, in Louisville, it looked like this guy was an employee and he walked in, maybe he brought a duffel bag, whatever, I don't know, they haven't given all those facts out, but there's pictures of him walking around carrying a rifle in the bank, and he walked into the conference room, and he just started shooting people. Um, and there were some hero officers there too, because just like in Nashville, these cops were amazing, they did a great job. Uh, one of them is fighting for his life, and we're going to talk about those two officers, I'm going to mention them when we come back from our break. But that kind of an attack, you need to slow these people down. You know, in our schools, we have to slow down. We, hopefully, all of us now are locking our doors so that you can't just walk in, but we have to protect that glass. Um, and it's easy to do, it's inexpensive. But these are the kind of things we need to think about. How do we slow things down so we have time to react? And then we have to think about our security. 
Do we have armed personnel in the school? Do we have armed personnel in our business? What are we gonna do? We'll be back in a minute and we'll see if we can figure out some more. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. If you're like me, you'd like life to return to some kind of normal. You're burned out on all the fear-mongering, but deep down you try and minimize viral exposure and your risk of getting sick. You've heard it talked about time and again by respected medical professionals. Use a pulvinone iodine nasal solution. I don't need to tell you just how powerful a nasal cleansing formula with xylitol, pulvinone iodine, and vitamin D3 for immune support could be. In fact, my attorney told me not to tell you. Google it and find out for yourself. Now, get yourself a bottle of American-made CofixRx nasal solution. Let's get out and live again. CofixRx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com. Use coupon code OUTLOUD and get 20% off. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. We are fighting the ultimate fight between good and evil. AmericaOutloud.com replaces groupthink with innovative think. Well, it was Walt Whitman, the poet, who said, Keep your face always toward the sunshine, and shadows will fall behind you. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Okay, we're back together here. You know, uh, I talk about Healthy Cell all the time and their products. And I, I want you to know the reason I talk to you about it, the reason I mention it is because. I actually I believe in the product. Uh, I like it. I enjoy it. I am enjoying the health benefits that it has given me. Um, it's it's just helped me to fight off cold after. I can't tell you. I don't say that just as a joke. I, I got sinus infections all the time to the point that they would last for days. And anybody who's had them knows that a sinus infection is a hideous thing to get. You get headaches. You're feeling exhausted. Your stomach hurts. It's just it's miserable, right? Having a sinus infection. Um, and I'm prone to them, all right? I guess I have some screwed up sinuses. But I gotta tell you, for the last year and a half that I've been taking this healthy cell, uh, I'll get a sinus infection, I'll feel it coming on, and it's literally, uh, I'll feel the symptoms, 
uh, I'll take an extra healthy cell package and the next day it's gone. It's really boosted my immune system and it has helped me to fight off colds and viruses and everything else. And I really like this stuff. So I'm telling you, if, you, if you're trying to do something to help your health, take a look at the Healthy Cell Immune Boost. They also make Focus Factor to help you think better. You know, Jim from the neighborhood, he needs that. You know, uh, Bill, he, he needs that. And uh, Jack, Jack don't need too much, but he's taking it too. It can help you there. And then they have stuff to help you sleep. And I can't believe how many people have problems sleeping. I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem sleeping. I sleep like a baby. And matter of fact, I, uh, I take a nap every afternoon. Not really a nap, you know. Sometimes I sleep, but mostly I just, I shut down for a few minutes to relax, you know, in the middle of my day. My life, my life is very busy these days. But the uh, Healthy Cell products, they're very good, and that's why I tell you about them. All right, so when we're talking about securing your, your business, there's a lot of things that we can do. We can't, we can't prevent a crazy person from attacking your school, your business, your house of worship, your, your, your religious facility. Right? We just saw that the other day in a mosque. Uh, a guy came in and attacked the imam in the middle of the services. You know, what can we do at these places? Well, there's, there's things you can do. You know, there's things that I, I provide. I provide training for uh, command staff of schools, businesses, and all these places on developing a human threat assessment team. Now, what a human threat assessment team does is they're specifically trained to identify threats, whether they be verbal threats, written threats, drawn threats, social media threats, uh, any any kind of a threat whatsoever, a rumor. You know, somebody might come to you and say, "Hey, listen, uh, Bob uh, from accounting, uh, he's uh, he's saying some pretty scary things about how he hates this place." And yeah, that's a threat, right? So we have to understand uh, what a threat is. So I teach people to understand the different levels of threats that are out there. Now the FBI classifies threats as low, medium, and severe. It might not be those exact words, but you get the idea. Low, medium, and high uh, potential for danger. And what separates the levels of threat is uh, the more realistic and the more planning that has gone into it, the more uh, serious you have to take the threat. So when it comes to our schools, you know, kids say stupid things all the time. Adults say stupid things all the time, right? Do you ever say to somebody, uh, shut up, I hate you. Uh, shut up, you're this and that, the other. Right? Kids say to each other, you leave me alone, I'll kill you. Do they mean they're actually going to bring a weapon to school and, and kill everyone? No. So what we have to do, first of all, is we have to be able to look at the threat and then take the threat apart and see, is it a low, medium, or high level of a threat? What's the potential for actual violence? And what do we do? So when I talk about realism, so a kid says, you know, I hate this place, I hate this school, I'm going to get a nuclear bomb and blow this place up. You say, wow, that's, that sounds pretty scary. Kid's making a threat to blow the school up. Well, the kid said he's going to use a nuclear bomb. Now, most kids can't make a nuclear bomb. They can make a bomb, for sure. Go on the internet, you can find out how to make a bomb. But when a kid says, I'm going to get a nuclear bomb and do this, that's probably for effect. Now, that doesn't mean we disregard this threat. We certainly investigate it. We look at it closer. But the reality is that is actually kind of a low-level threat, you know, because you can't really find materials to make a nuclear bomb. So you'd want to find out, has the kid been on the Internet? Has he been looking up bomb-making? That kind of thing, right? 
the next medium level kind of a threat that you take much more seriously is if somebody says, you know, I hate this business, you know, uh, I'll put one of them pressure cooker bombs in the locker room over there when, uh, when that idiot manager is getting dressed and I'll blow him to pieces. Now, can you figure out how to make a pressure cooker bomb uh, as opposed to a nuclear bomb? Yes, you certainly can. You can go on the internet again, just like those uh, horrible killers did up in Boston. They figured out how to make a pressure cooker bomb and they put it together and they killed people and maimed people with it. So somebody makes a threat like that, a pressure cooker bomb is much more realistic than a nuclear bomb for somebody to get. And they were more specific. They're going to put it in the locker of a specific person, right? That's very, very specific information. I, I would take this one very, very seriously. This one be involving law enforcement uh, and we would go from there. And then the high threat is very specific. Uh, if you had a kid in school or a worker who says, you know, I hate that Bob guy. I hate him. And, uh, you know, he leaves here every day at three o'clock and I'm going to be waiting for him outside that back door and I'm going uh, to stick a knife right in his throat, right? Well, you've got a very specific threat there. You have a time, you have a place, you have an individual, and you have a way they're going to do it. And it's very realistic. You could stick a knife in somebody's throat, right? So when we look at these things, we would say that's a very high threat. You're going to immediately call law enforcement. Problems that I see is that some law enforcement agencies who don't have a lot of experience with this kind of thing, they might hear that somebody made a threat and they're, they're concerned from a legal point of view, was a crime committed? Was the threat, was it a terrorist threat, terroristic threat? That's what it's called, right? When you threaten somebody. Um, but again, even in most of our laws across our country, when we make a terroristic threat, it has to be, uh, by the point of view of the person receiving the threat, they have to feel that it was, uh, it was possible and that it, was, it, it could happen like right then and there on the spot. So you say to somebody, you pull out a knife and you open it up and you say, I'm going to kill you right now if you don't shut up. That's a pretty good terroristic threat. That's possession of a weapon. That's assault. That's a lot of things. That's a serious crime you got there. But somebody doesn't have a knife and they just say, listen, man, keep bugging me, keep bugging me, and you're going to be really sorry around here. You're not going to go home one day. Now, is that a threat? Yes. Was it specific? No. So a lot of times when law enforcement shows up, you call them and say, hey, guy just threatened another employee. Come down here. And a cop shows up and maybe the officer doesn't have a lot of experience with different things and says, okay, what did he say? He says, uh, well, you know, if, if I kept it up, uh, I wouldn't get out of here someday. Well, did he say he was going to kill you? Uh, well, no, he didn't say he was going to kill me. But what do you think that means? Well, it could mean a lot of things. You know, see what I mean? How the conversation would go. And then you talk to the person. Hey, listen, did you threaten to kill this guy? No, I didn't threaten to kill anybody. He's a, he's a jerk, man. I told him to leave me alone. Or, 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 you know, I'm not putting up with his crap. And they say, oh, okay, well, don't threaten people. And then the officer would write it up as a as disagreement and leave, right? And that would be what you would expect because th there's no specifics. What I'm suggesting is that all of us have to be trained to look deeper into threats because people who commit this kind of mass killing, this mass violence, they don't wake up on a, on a Tuesday morning and decide they're going to go kill everybody. They've said things, they've expressed things, they've written things. You know, the, the killer in Nashville uh, had a manifesto, which we still haven't seen, by the way, um, had a manifesto about what they, who they hated, what they wanted to do. And we need to see that because we need to understand the mind of these people, right? So they do leave messages. They do say things. They say things at the water cooler. You know what? That guy writes me up one more time and that's his last day on earth. Well, 
that's that's a real threat. Someone has to look into that to see what's going on there. Um, so when it, well, that's what, and that's the kind of thing that you, that's a human threat assessment, if you see what I'm saying. And you can teach people to identify threats, evaluate threats, and then take the next steps. What do we need to do? Do we need to call in HR because this was some ugly words were said, or do we need to contact the police and have them conduct an investigation? Uh, and then maybe potentially charge somebody, get a search warrant, search a locker, search their house if they made threats about weapons and they're going to kill people. So I've created a matrix, a matrix that I give to schools and businesses. And uh, matrix is a common uh, tool that's used by law enforcement. Like when we have to go do a search warrant, uh, we want to understand, you know, who should go do the search warrant? The officers that are investigating the case? Uh, or do you need to have more... Uh, specific assistance from more highly trained people who might be able to do the do the entry, right? An entry team, a, a SWAT kind of a team to do the entry. Um, do you have different obstacles in your way? So you create a matrix, and say we were going for drugs, we assign point value to everything. So if it's for drugs, we would assign it five points. Uh, we would say if the house is reinforced, we know that they have pit bulls, we know that they have uh, steel reinforced doors so you can't knock it in on a search warrant, and we know that the person who's the subject of the investigation has a history of weapons and aggravated assault of police. So we assign points to all of that. And then you add up those points, and if it, if it reaches a certain level, then the team that's investigating doesn't do the entry. Then you bring in a more highly trained entry team, maybe a SWAT team, hits the door, secures the location, and then the investigative team comes in and does their investigation or whatever. Well, the same thing is true for schools and businesses. You know, there, there's a matrix that you can set up uh, to help you determine what action should you take. If you're a manager or an owner of a business uh, and, and you say, okay, well, I want to make sure that my employees are safe, that nobody hurts each other. So you create a matrix that says, employee A said to employee B, I'm going to kill you. Okay, so you want to evaluate that. Uh, was it just hot words or is there a potential? So you'd look and say, has this employee ever made threats before? Uh, yes or no. Has the employee ever struck anybody? Yes or no. Has the employee been disciplined? Yes or no. Has the employee uh, have access to weapons, etc.? Yes or no. Then you add those things up and it would t help you determine is this something for HR to deal with or is something we call the police and get them in here? So as I look at these things, um, you know, there's, there's a pattern that we see to all human behavior. Uh, as an investigator, I've written articles on uh, pattern, patternistic crimes, as well as signature crimes. Because a lot of us, we all have signature. You know, we all have patterns and signature. One of the things I'm seeing is a rise uh, in crimes that involve people who are, I guess they're marginalized groups is the way that you would say it uh, appropriately. So we know that in uh, Nashville, the killer was self-described as a transgender person and this manifesto probably uh, lists a lot of their grievances and their anger and their upsetness with society uh, for how they treat this person as a transgender. I'm, I'm going to guess because we haven't heard it yet. Well, there was a second one very recently that didn't involve anyone getting killed, and we're very, very lucky that they didn't. There was a transgender female in Colorado. I believe she was 17. So it was a, a, a young man transitioning into a, into a female, and she's 17 years old, and her sister 
called the police and said, listen, uh, my sister is, uh, is, is talking about shooting up a school and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And the police did the right thing. They took that seriously. That's a kill list. That's an attack list, right? You got to take that seriously and go investigate. And they did. Uh, whether they got a search warrant or a consent to search or whatever. But they found lists of target locations. They found all kinds of plans, written plans that this person had made to attack several schools in the area. And they probably saved a lot of lives. So we're, we're seeing some of that anger, and I'm not pointing a finger at the transgender community and saying that they're killers, they're killers. You know, a lot of people want to say that. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying we see, we have seen that violence come out of that community. We're also, the other one, and I, and I wrote about it, was the incel community. Now, we're seeing more and more about the incel community. Now, if you don't know what the incel community is, they are people who consider themselves involuntarily celibate. Uh, their grievance with the world, uh, for, there's male and female incels, and that's what they, they're referred to as incels. And they feel that the world is not fair, the world is not just, and that um, they are limited in who their sexual partners can be because of their looks, because of their status in the world, uh, because of their uh, just things that they can't control. And that uh, for the male incels, what they believe is that uh, women, attractive women, that they would want to date and have sex with and, and have relationships with, those women will only date about 20% of the male population. And the males that they will date, uh, they refer to them as chads. Chad, C-H-A-D, like the name, Chad, right? So the chads are the 20% of the male population that are very good looking or very, very wealthy or have very, very high status that would attract these very attractive females. The rest of the men, 80% of them, uh, get what's left over. And the incels uh, see themselves on the bottom of the pile. They don't get anything, right? None of these women will talk to them. They will not go near them. They won't have sex with them. And they feel very aggrieved by this. Um, the females that identify as incels, they also uh, look at the, at the situation that, you know, um, men that they would want to be with only want to be with, you know, the supermodel, the, the perfect girl, the beautiful girl, the, cheer, the head cheerleader, that kind of thing. And they don't have any chance with the men that they would want to be with. Females have a tendency, though, to turn that anger and that, that dissatisfaction with life inward onto themselves you know they, they are, they're upset with themselves that they're not beautiful they're not the perfect weight they're not the perfect height they don't match up to the supermodel whereas the male uh, as most males are more violent than females they turn it outward and they have committed some horrific acts of violence in Canada there was a guy who ran down a bunch of people as an incel he was going after people and a guy in California uh, killed a bunch of people uh, because and he self-described incel. So when I'm looking at these communities that feel marginalized, as an investigator, you have to say to yourself, uh, is there is there something bigger brewing in those communities? Now it's not because the person is transgender that they would be violent. They just happen to be transgender. These are people that are going to have a problem anyway, a mental problem somewhere other that they might have used violence somewhere else. It's not because they're transgender that they were violent. And it's not because these people can't get dates that they were violent. They were violent because sometimes people are just violent and that's how they handle uh, their, their, uh, their feelings, their emotions, that they, the things they can't control. But I think it's interesting that we have to look 
uh, as we look out across the entire world of all these people who commit these crimes, we see that there's a lot of mental illness among the active shooters, whether it's diagnosed or undiagnosed. Uh, we see people who have all kinds of, of grievances. Uh, they're then going to go in and attack. Uh, look at the Parkland kid. Uh, that killed all those people. He is, you could see his videos where he was making videos saying he was going to be the next school shooter and he wanted to kill 20 people with his rifle and everyone would be sorry. And he had a whole list of grievance uh, that he put out there. The, uh, the, the killer that, that attacked the Virginia Tech school, he made videos where he, he laid out his grievances. So this is what I'm saying. These things don't just happen overnight. They're a buildup of frustration, anger, uh, feelings of un uh, lack of justice in the situation. And they do say and do things before they attack. And we can see these things in many cases. But the thing is you have to be properly trained to identify what's said, what's done, what is the threat, and then to respond to it appropriately, take the appropriate action, whether that's calling law enforcement or doing something in the business. Now, when we see a lot of these businesses where people come back and kill, whether and they're not just fired employees. That's not it. Sometimes they're just disgruntled employees. So does your business have a policy that if someone is uh, fired, right, if somebody is terminated, that when they show back up at the building, then they're not just let in, right? Do you have security? Do you have door People have to ring a bell to come into your facility now. Some facilities can't do that. You can't do that when you go to a shopping mall, right? There's no way you can screen everybody coming in. And that's where, do you have security? Do you have security officers? Do you have plainclothes officers in a big facility like that, that are watching, that are looking to see who's coming and going? Do you have any idea that someone, that you're fired, uh, have they made any threats? Have, they, have, have you monitored their social media? Right? Have you looked and seen? Has, have your other employees come to you and said, you know, that guy is uh, making some, uh, some scary things, man. What are we saying? Some scary things. What are we going to do about this guy? Uh, right? So we, we have to take those kind of things into account as well. So we can see these things in many, many instances before they explode on us. Uh, we saw that the, the killer in Nashville, Apparently, some of her friends are coming forward saying, yeah, she was saying some crazy stuff about suicide. And uh, one of them even said, hey, don't do anything bad. Um, so, so these things are out there is my point. Do you have people trained in your school to identify these things, to be a, a, uh, a human threat assessment team? Right. When it comes to the other kind of assessment, that's the physical, the physical plant assessment. This is when you're looking at your buildings. You know, uh, we see again, like I said, in, uh, in these schools where they shoot the glass out and they step right in. Well, you have to get that glass secured. And where do you start? You do everything on the first floor? No, you start at the entranceway because for most instances in these attacks, these killers come through the front door because that's how we all go through a building. We come to the front door and we go in the front door. So that's where they go. So I always suggest, hey, get the front and the back doors glazed. Limit your points of entry to one area, right? So they can only come to one area. A vestibule, a double, a swipe card operated vestibule is really a great investment. Uh, you might be able to get bullet resistant glass in there cheaper than, uh, you know, bulletproof glass. So that when someone shows up at the front door, they don't just get to walk into your school. And believe it or not, there are still schools that don't lock the door. 
Um, so somebody walks up, they ring the bell. You gotta have cameras there so that office staff who have been trained to evaluate a person to see if they look suspicious, if they're carrying something that's inappropriate, are they dressed inappropriately for the weather conditions? Uh, you know, what are they saying on that intercom? Uh, hey, I, I wanna see Principal Jones. I wanna see Principal Jones. Oh, do you have an appointment? No, but I, I wanna talk to him right now about my son. Okay, well, a lot of people would do what at that point? Hit the buzzer and let them in the school. Well, maybe they don't have a kid in the school. Maybe they're trying to attack the school. So if, if you don't have an appointment to be there, then what do you do? You say, please hang on one minute, and you go and you find Principal Jones and go, hey, there's a guy out front, wants to talk to you, he seems agitated. Now Principal Jones needs to get up there, take a look at the guy, and make a determination. Do I let this person in my school? Hey, look, it's July and the guy's wearing a long coat and he seems to be carrying something underneath. No, I'm not gonna let that person in. Matter of fact, I'm gonna call the police because this person looks suspicious. I don't know them and they're trying to get in my school. So we can develop our policies we can train our staff. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I go to do a school threat assessment and I do penetration testing. Penetration testing is when I try and get into a location, whether it's a business or a school, that is supposed to be secured. And in many instances, sadly, I do find my way in. Now I go different ways. You know, I'm a, I'm a grown adult man. Um, I don't look like a, uh, a street person. So if I show up in a suit and tie, I'm going to get much, much better response from people than if I showed up in a hoodie covering my face, blue jeans, maybe a little uh, scruffy looking, not shaved for a couple days. That people are going to look at you a little differently. And this is what we have to be careful of. You know, we have to be careful. We can't go by just by what somebody looks like. We have to go by their behaviors. How are they behaving? So we see domestic violence is a, is a problem in the workplace. Uh, it's a problem in schools, right? Because people don't want to tell you that they're having problems at home. So most of us in, that work in our schools, we know, we know the spouses. We've seen them around of the teachers and the staff members. So say if me and Mrs. Kathy are having a problem at home uh, and I'm thrown out of the house and I'm angry with her and I can't get to her, but I know where she works. She's at that school. If I show up at the school, hey, I'm here to see Kathy. Most of the time they're going to buzz me in. Oh, come on in, Joe. She's down in her classroom. And I'm in the school, and I'm down in that classroom, and now I can do what I want. What I tell people is this. There should be a visitor's list. There should be a visitor's list. If you're going to have somebody come to your school or your business to visit you, they should have an appointment, right? You should know that they're coming. So when I show up, say, hey, I'm here to see Kathy. Oh, yep, Kathy has you down on the list here. Go ahead in, right? Now Kathy knows I'm coming. If Kathy and I are having problems where she feels threatened by me, and she doesn't know I'm coming, when that secretary or that clerical person calls down and says, Kathy, Joe's here, do you wanna to talk to him? No, don't let him in. Him and I are having problems, don't let him in the building. That's when you'll hear about the domestic violence, right? So this is the point, is that there are lots of things um, that we can do. We can look at our policy, we can look at our procedures, we can train people uh, to be more aware of what's going on. Uh, you know, who, who, do, you, do you do lockdown drills? And you should do them in every facility, whether you're a, a food store or whether you are a, um, a movie theater. If you're a school, it doesn't matter. You should be prepared to respond to violence because we've seen recently that this violence is coming to all kinds of places. Now, what do you do in a, in a grocery store? What do you do in a grocery store when somebody shows up 
and they want to start shooting. Well, you're pretty vulnerable there. We are, are, we are a nation of, um, of very vulnerable targets, very soft targets as the term goes, because we let people in. People have to come in and shop in our grocery stores. What do you do when somebody comes in and starts firing a rifle? Is your staff trained to lock down, to go to certain places, to lock certain doors, to drag patrons in with them and secure them? Uh, are they trained to do that? Do they know how to call the police? Do you have equipment in place that people can use to call for help? Uh, do you have security watching the cameras, wait, waiting to see who's coming in and who's going out from the business? Right? So that and the policy of if somebody's fired, they're not allowed back in. Right? That's, that's a simple one, I think, for a lot of things. So this guy that, that just shot up his employer, the bank, we're going to find out more about this guy. Uh, we're going to find out about his background, why he was being fired, did he make threats, did he have other problems. But I wanted to mention the officers. Um, and C.J. Galloway is the um, officer in Louisville. He was the training officer, and he was on, I think, since 2018. And his partner, um, his partner that morning was Nick Wilt. Now, Nick just graduated the police academy several weeks ago. He just graduated the academy, and he was struck in the head uh, he underwent brain surgery, and apparently he's uh, he's in critical but stable condition as we uh, as we uh, meet today. Uh, we pray for Nick, we pray for his family, we pray for all the officers out there that are are doing the right thing and that that suffer and sacrifice in the line of duty. So we'll find out more about all of these killers. We're gonna we're gonna read the. Uh, manifesto. But if you hear something, you know the old see something, say something, or hear something, say something? We have to pay attention in our workplaces. We cannot take idle threats. You know the old saying that, well, that's just the way he is. Well, that's how she is. That's got to go. Somebody's making even veiled threats. We have to bring that to someone's attention. It has to be investigated properly. And then our businesses and our schools have to be prepared with policy, procedure, and actions. If somebody makes a threat, what are we going to do to remove that threat, and then what do we do to protect everybody in that building so that they don't come back and hurt people? All right, so this was, uh, you know, I had some pol political stuff I want to talk about. I guess we'll get to that in the next episode. But this is this is on my mind because a lot of this is going on, and uh, it's only moments away from the next one. So pay attention, do the right thing, train your people. If you need help, reach out to me. All right, I'll try and do what I can to help you. But until we meet again, remember, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. This is Lieutenant Joe saying, hey, everybody, go have a good day and pray for all our first responders.